Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. On the last episode of Seahawks Forever, Seaside Joe made his informed decision, and in fact, his prediction of who he thinks the Seahawks will hire as their next head coach. He predicted Mike Kafka. Lots of great feedback from you guys. I'm going to share some of that today and respond to it on the show. And then, as I get set to take a few days off and I'm a little bit nervous that I'm going to miss out on the announcement of a new head coach, I'm going to make my prediction. I've updated my big board, and there's one name to me that stands alone at the top, and there are signs that indicate that John Schneider may have him as his favorite candidate as well. I'll let you know who I ultimately think John Schneider is going to hire to replace Pete Carroll up next on Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Let's get the business out of the way so I can get right to it for you today. This will be a relatively short episode as far as this podcast is concerned. Hit that like button on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, and hit that bell button so you're always notified of new episodes. If you prefer audio podcasts, I am on all the platforms. Just search for Seahawks Forever. And if you want to listen to episodes that don't have any ads in them whatsoever, you can subscribe on Spotify for 99 cents a month. I will have that link in the description. And if you just want to support the show, you like what I do, you can buy me a coffee or a beer at buymeacoffee.com. That link will be down below as well. Let's get right to it. Uh, I have shared with you my first list of uh, five favorite Seahawk head coaching candidates. And then I shared my update. Uh, let's just go over those real quick. A little bit of suspense for you. Here's my first list as it came out. I had Ben Johnson, number one overall, Mike Vrabel, two, then Dan Quinn, Bobby Slowick, and Mike McDonald at five. This was my initial list within days of Pete Carroll. Uh, in fact, I think the, the day after he was fired. And then I updated it just a few days ago, Monday, I believe, to this. And this is mostly who I wanted. That's why I framed these as my top five favorite. Not what I think they will do. But those two worlds now align, and that's what I'm going to get to in a second. I still have Ben Johnson number number one overall. I moved Mike McDonald all the way from five to two, uh, tied with Mike Vrabel. Had them as a 2A and a 2B. And then Kafka. And then Dan Quinn and Raheem Morris. Morris has since been hired by the Atlanta Falcons as their next head coach. Quinn just completed, uh, he was here Thursday and into Friday for his second interview. 
Raheem Morris was supposed to be here yesterday, but then took the Falcons job. So Ajiro Vero is in town today for his second interview. Patrick Graham interviewed on Wednesday. And Mike Kafka, I believe, was Tuesday. Now, a lot of you watched the episode with Seaside Joe the other day. A lot of you watched it. Uh, by the way, shout out to all of you viewers and listeners. Um, a record month for Seahawks Forever. Uh, and we still have a few days left. So thanks for all the support. Clearly, you know, this is, this is new territory for us all. You know, since I've been doing podcasts of any kind, uh, the Seahawks haven't had to go through a coaching search. And in fact, the last time they changed coaches in 2010, they didn't have to go through this because this process and the restrictions uh, placed on teams by the NFL weren't in place. They could just pick their guy. And that's, you know, the Seahawks have had eight, eight head coaches and pretty much all of them, at least in our lifetime, have been chosen that way. They just, they just pick their guy. Um, so I wanted to go back and read some of the comments. Just uh, some of the comments <laughs> about the idea that Mike Kafka would be hired as the Seahawks' next head coach. Um, and it, overwhelmingly... Uh, this was not this was not a popular prediction by Seaside Joe, and I will just preface it by saying this: he he puts a lot of thought into this process. He's, he's not just picking names out of a hat. I mean, he really saw some reasons to think that they wanted to go offense, and then judging by the fact that Kafka was the only offensive coach in the final five to get second interviews, um was uh, primarily one of the reasons that he decided to make that decision. But what also ordered. But also because he was sorry about that. This is Got some autoplay going here. YouTube's not cooperating with me. I want to get back to these, uh, these comments uh, on the page. Um, it's, let me just read some of these. It, overwhelmingly, when, when I get comments from you guys, it shows up in my email inbox too. And so sometimes I'll be at work, I'll be doing things, and I try to see right away because I just want to get an idea how things are going. And and y'all are adamant that Mike Kafka would be a terrible choice for the Seahawks. Um, if Kafka's the hire, it just means that they want to lose. Uh, if Kafka's hired, John Schneider should be fired. Kafka's not the choice. Kafka's a joke. Kafka's a clown. It's interesting to me how some of the thought process, if there is any that some of you use to come to those conclusions, because it's just not, it's not grounded in fact. It's not grounded in any kind of reality. It's not even grounded in, if you look around the league historically, and I made this point the other day. I'll make, I'll make it again. I gave two blind resumes. Uh, one coach was in his mid-30s, was considered an, uh, an up-and-coming coach, but nowhere near being a head coaching candidate, and had never called in plays in his career. Ever. So there's no indication, no reason to think that he was going to be a good head coach or even that he could run an effective offense other than people he worked for, people he knew. 
And that doesn't always guarantee success, right? Many of you would tell me today, in fact, I had, uh, I suggested on a show recently that maybe the new coach, especially if he was a, a defensive oriented coach, might consider retaining Shane Waldron as offensive coordinator to keep some continuity and that there were some signs that Waldron was developing as a play caller. There were some things I thought were blind spots and, and some issues, certainly. Uh, but the blowback was 100%. Not a single person agreed that that would be a good idea. Well, Shane Waldron came from the LA Rams and he was mentored by Sean McVay. And yet, here some of you are ignoring the fact that some of these young guys have great backgrounds and that some of the best head coaches in the NFL had zero background. So candidate A had never called plays before in his entire life, at least not in the NFL. Candidate B had called plays for five games in an interim basis after uh, an offensive coordinator was fired. During those five games, that team averaged 17 points a game, and that team had at least one surefire future Hall of Fame skill position player. Candidate A was Matt LaFleur. Candidate B was Zach Taylor. Pretty damn good coaches, right? And those of you that came at me with anti-Kafka sentiment, it was all pretty much like this. Look at that New York offense last year. It was a joke. He'd be a terrible hire because of that. And Seaside Joe said on the show, Give him a pass for last year. Daniel Jones was hurt. Tommy DeVito started a third of the season. And then Tyrod Taylor had to come in and save the day. Saquon Barkley was hurt for much. For I think he missed three games, but he wasn't 100% when he came back. Their wide receiver group there isn't anything to write home about. Their defense was terrible, so the offense was consistently having to play from behind. They had a bad offensive line. Defenses knew they could pin their ears back and come after them. But the year before... If you don't give Mike Kafka credit for getting a, a really solid year out of Daniel Jones and a career year out of Saquon Barkley and getting Jones, a big contribution to Daniel Jones being as rich of a young man as he is today, got that big contract because the Giants brass saw enough of it in him that season. And then before that, Kafka was Patrick Mahomes, quarterback coach in Kansas City and the passing game coordinator there and a guy that, Andy Reid thought so highly of he blocked an interview request by the Philadelphia Eagles to be their offensive coordinator at one point before the rules were changed so that they really couldn't do that if that happened today. So in just one injury-riddled year on a bad team where every coordinator and assistant coach, essentially, where Brian Dable was given an ultimatum that you had to clean house and change your entire staff over, except Mike Kafka, he's going to hold on to him if he doesn't get a job. I don't know, it's just odd. I, I didn't intend to go off on that tangent, but the point I'm trying to make is, and I was going to say you, but I'll include myself in it. We think we know who's going to be a good head coach and who we want. I'm about to tell you who, who that is for me, but we don't. We don't. Three years ago, two of the hottest coaching candidates that everybody interviewed and everyone wanted to hire were Arthur Smith and Brandon Staley. And they were both disasters. Arthur Smith, not just because of his kind of surly personality and how uncomfortable he was with the media and how wish-washy he was with 
the quarterback situation. He wasn't able to develop a young quarterback there, and he couldn't make a decision. And But also because the thing he was known most for, which was offensive scheming and play design and play calling, was the biggest criticism Falcons fans had when he was fired. Didn't get enough out of Kyle Pitts. Didn't get enough out of Drake London. Didn't get enough in the first half of his rookie year out of B. John Robinson. And then Brandon Staley, disaster. He was a hot candidate. Everyone wanted to hire. He won his press conference. Everybody was sky high. Fans thought they were going to win Super Bowls finally down there. And he turned out to be a disaster because he didn't know how to treat people. How to organize an entire program. How to get the most out of each player. How to get you know a team to come together and rally behind him. So you don't know. I tend to, to think that John Schneider probably knows more than us when it comes to what he's looking for, what he wants, what works in the league, what he's looking for. And if he thought Mike Kafka was worth interviewing a second time, I'm pretty sure John Schneider knows a little bit more than us. It's just a hunch. Groomed by Ron Wolf, Hall of Fame GM. I, I, I just... How sure some of you are. It shouldn't surprise me, but it does. So, I have teased you long enough. <laughs> I think Mike McDonald's going to be the next head coach of the CLC Hawks. I think when you start to connect the dots and follow the smoke, there is a reason that John Schneider's being so deliberate. There's a reason he hasn't been in a hurry to name a coach. I know a lot of you were worried that it was just going to be a handoff. That Dan Quinn was a Pete Carroll guy and he'd been here before and he won a Super Bowl with us. And that, you know, there was there were even reports last year that the reason he withdrew his name from consideration for some head coaching jobs is because he had his eye on Seattle someday. He was the first name everybody speculated when the Carroll news broke. But he was in town all day Thursday into early Friday. John Schneider knows him inside and out. Burt Cold knows him. Jody Allen knows him. Chuck Arnold knows him. And he's not playing right now. If he's the guy you thought was going to be your next head coach, he'd have been hired yesterday. Not only wasn't he, but they continue with their interviews with Ajiro in today. If Mike Vrabel had been of interest to them, they would have interviewed him. So he's not. He'd be off my list if I did a top five again today. But I don't think we need to because I think it's a top two. I think it's Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald. I, I think we will probably hear. Let's assume, first of all, we got to see what happens tomorrow, right? If the Lions lose to the 49ers in Santa Clara, then Ben Johnson immediately becomes available. He can interview in person. He can take a job. It's been reported that the Washington Commanders will send a quote-unquote contingent to go meet him. I would suspect that we will potentially hear that the Seahawks have requested a second interview and, and, and are trying to meet with Ben Johnson. Whether they send people there or whether they try to get him out here so they can get him on the seaplane and fly him into VMAC and, and put the whole show on, put the whole Chad Ochocinco. Uh, I'm sorry, Chad Ochocinco. I was thinking of... Uh, uh, Zada, if you remember, that was a big deal to him. Like when they signed him as a free agent, it was the seaplane ride 
fire up the seaplane. But I think McDonald might be their number one target. I think we may have read a little too much into Schneider's press conference when he talked about the challenges of hiring a defensive coach and what that meant on the offensive side of the ball, that it's, it's hard to find good coordinators, and when you do, they get poached. I think we've read too much into Mike Holmgren basically campaigning for the last two weeks. I talked to John, told him he should hire an offensive guy. I talked to John, I think he's going to hire an offensive guy. Well, then why didn't Bobby Slowick get a second interview? Why didn't Frank Smith get a second interview? I think he's going to, A, hire the best guy. But I think when you look at what the Seahawks face on a year-in, year-out basis right now, and the division that they're in, going up against Shanahan and McVay four times a year, and we'll see what happens with the Cardinals. Got to find a way to stop those guys. Got to find a way to stop them. And there's enough good coordinators out there, and there's enough talent on offense that you should be able to attract a good coordinator or at least a promising one. And if they get poached, that means you're kicking ass. If they get poached after a year or two, means they're getting hired as head coaches. Means your offense probably was top five, top ten, you're a playoff team, and they want part of what you've got. It's a good problem to have. And then you can attract the next hot guy. But it just seems to me, when when I watch interviews with this guy, he just seems so grounded and solid and professional. None of it, there's no shtick. Nothing's forced. And what I like about McDonald, as opposed to some of these other candidates, is he basically cut his teeth and came up all the way through that Ravens system. An organization worked his way up. And the first thing John Schneider said at his press conference is that the gauntlet has been thrown down from above. Ownership wants a positive culture, wants to continue culture, wants, wants to keep that as a priority. That Baltimore Ravens culture, year in, year out, guys want to play there. They play the brand of football that I think all fans want to see. They play hard. They're an uncomfortable team to play. They've always had outstanding front offices. They get the most out of their players. They develop players, and they get the most out of them. And the more I read about Mike McDonald and how he schemes on a week-in, week-out basis, how he uses his personnel, look at the year he got out of Jadevian Clowney. Look at the development of Justin Matabuike. Look at Kyle Hamilton, who some were calling a first-round bust, until Mike McDonald figured out, hey, I'm going to basically make him a nickel guy so that he's closer to the ball, so he's in on all the action. He became a catalyst for that defense. Makes you wonder if he was the guy here, if we might never see Devin Witherspoon on the outside on a full-time basis. Maybe he's the guy you'd put in that Kyle Hamilton, Hamilton role, or maybe it's Julian Love. We don't know. But I think there's a reason that Schneider has been so patient I have talked ad nauseum about how uh, as much as anyone in the league, Schneider has good contacts, contacts, guys that he trusts, guys that trust him. He has his ear to the ground, his finger on the pulse, whatever cliche you want to use, man. 
He knows on draft day when guys are going to go. For the most part, this last year we missed out. You know, he talked openly about getting sniped on a couple of players, but most years, anytime someone accuses him of reaching in the draft, we come to find out later that, oh, team right behind him was going to take that player. Or GMs are calling him to say, oh, that was a good pick. I was going to take him. Kind of like we all do in our fantasy football drafts, right? You get past the second round and <laughs> you hear the whole room in unison go, oh, good pick, man. Good pick. I think he's everything the Seahawks want and need in a head coach. And the thing that I like about him, too, is if he can come in here and establish even a consistent top 10 defense in this, in the modern NFL, going against the offenses that we do in the division every year and, and just. It's an offensive league now, right? But you establish, you have a guy that can that can ensure, you would think, that every single year this is a, a, a top 10, top 15 defense at worst. Potentially better. That you have a chance to compete every single year and you find you have a chance to go up against the 49ers and have a shot. And have a shot. The reason we haven't beaten the 49ers in four years isn't because the offense stunk against them. I would argue that in three of those four games, the offense gave us gave us a chance. Defense just couldn't stop their nose from bleeding. Couldn't prevent explosive plays. Couldn't stop the run. And I think John knew the lay of the land, knew these other organizations would be in much more of a hurry. And when you're talking about a bad organization that's in total rebuild, having to start over again, maybe looking at having to draft a rookie quarterback again and start from scratch, there's a reason that their rosters are in the shape that they're in. I, I think those organizations are in more of a hurry to hire a coach because they're more concerned about appearances, PR. Carolina Panthers came out, they put a press release out every single time they interviewed a guy. We completed a first interview today with Tampa Bay Offensive Coordinator Dave Canales. Total opposite of the way Seahawks do things. We've also seen John Schneider over the years meticulously and purposely misinform smokescreens. He may have talked the way he did about the challenge of finding uh, good offensive coordinators if you hire a defensive coach has kind of a kind of a change of direction, a, a zig when you think he's going to zag. And then four of the five requests come out for second interviews, and they're all defensive guys. Uh, I also base it on this. If you stuck around this long into the video, thank you so much because there are a couple of things that help the channel as far as the YouTube algorithm goes, and one of them is duration of time that you watch videos. Some of you are really impatient. You get the information you want to get, and you duck out. Um, but if you stuck around this long, then uh, I'll give you this little nugget as well. I'm not just shooting from the hip here. Um, I have some insight, and I have spoken with someone today who is very well connected with a certain NFL executive. And it is of that person's opinion 
that he thinks Johnson may still be in play, but, but McDonald's the guy. I think John knew, well, first of all, he probably knew the Ravens were going to go to the Super Bowl and likely win it. But I think he also knew that by the time their season was over, regardless of when it happened, that the Seahawks might just be standing all by themselves with no competition. He talked at his press conference about how he has to compete for these candidates. And who knows, maybe he's surprised that, that no one was willing to wait for McDonald. And some of you have speculated that, well, McDonald, you know, it has to be mutual interest. He might not want the job. Someone even speculated, uh, said in the comments just moments before I hit record that uh, maybe he's waiting for John Harbaugh to retire. Has John Harbaugh given any indication that he's thinking about retiring? He's not an old guy. He's got a franchise quarterback in his prime. You win one, one Super Bowl, you're going to walk away? Instead of trying to win two or three? Right? You're not going to turn down a head coaching job because you really like the job you have as a defensive coordinator in Baltimore right now. No. These jobs don't come around very often. There are only 32 of them. Um, so I am about to take some time off. Uh, just a few days. I'll be back on Wednesday, late Wednesday, though, so probably wouldn't be able to do anything until Thursday. Um, although, if news breaks, if something happens in the next four days, and that something could be that maybe the Lions lose and Johnson's the guy and Schneider's able to outbid the Commanders. And by the way, on that note, I, I do see the dots being connected to Johnson, to Washington. This may be information some of you don't know. It has been reported that he wants to start from scratch. We're talking new ownership in Washington. Brand new GM who's highly respected and apparently has a connection with Johnson. Johnson's from North Carolina, just down the road. He's an East Coast guy. Second pick in the draft, chance to draft a franchise quarterback. The most cap space in the league. Weapons on offense already existing. And I have also heard some things about Johnson that he's the kind of guy that his personality might not mesh with everyone, including John Schneider. I'm not saying Eric Bieniemy level. There's obviously something about that guy that turned enough people off with all the interviews he did that he didn't even get a sniff this year. But that Ben Johnson might not be everybody's cup of tea, personality-wise. Might be some arrogance there. I'm, I'm just saying, this. these are just some things that I've heard and some speculation out there. So maybe John doesn't feel he's a match and McDonald's is clear-cut number one. But if, if the Ravens were to be upset, then I think we'll see some things move pretty quickly in this front. If the Ravens and Lions both lose, well, then I might be coming to you from Sedona, Arizona on my laptop without the background and all the lighting. And <laughs> might have to go low tech a little bit. Uh, but I will do that if that were to happen. Certainly. Um, I just wanted to get this out there before I left. And, uh, and just kind of give you one last thought on where I think things are headed. Now, if I come back on Thursday and the Seahawks still don't have a coach. And there was also a report yesterday. Was it Pro Football Talk? that uh, neither the Commanders nor Seahawks were expected to hire coaches until next week. 
Um, and it's because I think they're, they're, they have their eye on the same two guys. Uh, but I will report from Arizona if I need to. Otherwise, uh, when I get back, I'll, uh, I'll hop on and fire up the Dan Cave studio again and give you my latest thoughts on where I think things stand at that point. Enjoy the games tomorrow. Uh, it's, it's a lot more interesting watching them, isn't it? When, uh, when I'll put it this way. I'll take it one step further just to, to leave on this note. I think the Seahawks' next, next head coach is playing is coaching a game tomorrow. I think it's one of those two guys. I would move Patrick Graham at this point up to my number three spot. I think he'd be the fallback candidate. But I think it's one of those two guys. It's Johnson or McDonald, and I think it's McDonald. So have fun watching those games with an eye on that. Mm, what, would, what would the Seattle defense look like with that scheme and our defense playing that way. And maybe even leave you this little teaser before I say good night, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are. Uh, Justin Matabuike, Patrick Queen, Jadevian Clowney, some key cogs on that Ravens defense, free agents. And uh, in, in especially in the case of Matabuike, he may be a guy that they'd like to franchise, only 26 years old really developed into a dominant interior defensive lineman this year, but uh, they might not be able to afford to franchise a guy. So just another fun thought as well. Uh, enjoy. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the next couple of days. And uh, if I don't talk to you again until next Thursday, it means the Seahawks still don't have a head coach. All right? Enjoy the process. Trust the process. Forever and always, go Hawks. Thanks for watching, guys. Thanks for watching, guys.